Welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast, your source for gripping and twisty stories in a serialized format. And now, here's your host, Jim Heskett. Welcome back, diehard believer, to the Thriller Fiction Podcast. My name is Jim Heskett, and I hope you're having a wonderful day. I'm having a pretty good day um, on the day this is released. I would imagine, I mean, I'm recording it way in advance, um, but I'm imagining that on the day this is released, I'm having a good day because, you know, life is beautiful. uh, And so we should appreciate everything, the gifts the universe gives us. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so today we are reading chapter one of Stone Deep, the fifth published book in the Micah Reed series. And in the Mike Reed chronological edition, it's like the eighth book, I think, or ninth. I don't, I don't even really know, but that's not important. What is important is that we're going to get into it because it's a rather long chapter. And then after I read the chapter, we're going to do some commentary on the back end. So let's go ahead and do that. Here we go. A gloved fist whiffed through the air and Micah Reed managed to lean his head far enough to the left that he didn't lose any teeth when the punch connected with his jaw. His boxing partner, Lane Parrish, was a beast of a man, tall, muscular, covered in faded and fleshy tattoos. Micah wasn't tall or buff or decorated with ink. He used to fancy himself an above-average boxer, but Lane's ass-whooping was teaching him otherwise. The most recent blow nearly sent Micah to the mat, but he was able to save a little bit of dignity by skiddying into the ropes instead. The ropes wanted to catapult him back into the middle of the ring, but he wrapped a glove around the top rope to stay in place. He held up his free hand and spit out the mouth guard. Uncle, I'm waving the white flag. I think you've kicked my ass enough for today. Lane cackled and shadow boxed the air between them. Sure, man, if you say so. Micah caught his breath as Lane lifted the ropes for him to exit the ring and both of them thudded onto stools to remove their gloves. Micah's heart raced so fast he had to pause for a minute first. Around them, Glazer's gym rumbled with movement, sound, and the stink of sweat. Micah loved this place. It was close to his home in downtown Denver, was funky, run-down, and anonymous. Micah appreciated anonymity. Not only because Micah wasn't actually his name, but also because sometimes you just want to be one among many. To blend into a place where nobody knows your name and nobody would care to know it. Got plans tonight, Micah said. Lane sipped from his water bottle and splashed some on his head before answering. Not really. Going to see my daughter tomorrow, then I'm out of town for work for a couple weeks. You're not interested in dog-sitting my bull mastiff while I'm gone, are you? Nope. Not even a little bit. Sorry, Lane. No big deal, Lane said. You got plans? Frank's got me doing some research at the office, stuff I should have done already, but what can I say? I slacked off, and now I'm paying the price. They stood and then navigated the dirty floor to return to the locker room. After hitting the showers, they walked out together, chatting about travel plans for Christmas and New Year's Eve. Micah had none, of course. No family trips on the horizon, since most of his immediate family thought he was dead. And being 14 months sober in AA, he didn't see the point in going out for a big New Year's bash. Outside, Micah cinched his coat close as snow trickled from the sky like white confetti in a parade. Lane, wearing only a long-sleeved t-shirt, grinned at Micah's heavy coat. 
I seriously don't get how you can't feel cold, Micah said. Oh, I can feel it, man. I just don't care. Micah was about to reply when Lane held up a hand, pointing at a man standing next to Micah's car across the lot. You know that guy? Lane said. Micah focused, then identified a white man with dark hair standing next to Micah's beat-up Honda Accord. Blue suit, wool coat, and scarf around his neck. Arms crossed, a leather messenger bag hanging across his body. Gavin Belmont, U.S. Marshal. Yeah, Micah said, grimacing. I know the guy. Lane cracked his knuckles and stepped closer to Micah while eyeing Gavin. You don't seem to be happy to see him. Everything okay? It's fine, Micah said. I should probably go talk to him, so maybe I'll catch up with you later? Sure, man. Hit me up if you need anything. Micah endured Lane's punishing grip to shake his hand and then waited until he'd left the area before approaching Gavin. Without speaking, Gavin tilted his head at the car and walked around to the passenger side. Micah slid in and unlocked the door for the marshal. Hi, Gavin, he said as his former handler had a seat and unraveled his scarf. We have got to stop meeting like this. Gavin approximated a smile. Feels like yesterday, doesn't it? What do you want, Gavin? There you are again, Micah, with that attitude. I thought after everything that happened last time, we'd gotten past all this. I thought we'd come to an understanding. Micah bit his lip. You show up unannounced, inserting yourself into my life whenever you see fit. I told you before, this is one of the reasons why I dropped out of the program. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want my autonomy back. Gavin sighed, and Micah felt a pang of guilt. He didn't know why he persisted in being so resentful toward this man who was only a few years his senior. Objectively, the marshal wasn't a bad guy, but Micah still felt an irresistible urge to punch this man in his stupid face. Odd choice for a gym, Gavin said. How so? Gavin pointed behind him. It's right down the street from the pink door. You know who owns the pink door, right? I do, and I don't care. Tyson Darby hasn't hassled me in a long time, so I don't consider it to be a problem. What do you want, Gavin? Okay, I'll get to the point, if you're not in the mood for small talk. Gavin opened the messenger bag and removed a folder. From inside that, he handed Micah a black-and-white photograph of some guy with brown skin, messy black hair, and a tattoo of a skull on his neck. Looked about Micah's same age, late 20s or early 30s. Should I know who this is? Micah said. I doubt it. His name is Santiago Jimenez, but he goes by Snoop, former cartel. Sinaloa? No, Gavin said, not one of your old crew. He was with an outfit named Dos Cruces out of Baja in Southern California. Ever heard of them? Yeah, Micah said. I know Dos Cruces. They stayed far enough away from us that they weren't a problem. The Sinaloa never had any beef with them, as far as I know. Good. That's helpful. Why are you showing me a picture of this Snoop guy? Gavin went back to the folder and withdrew a few more pictures. He plopped them into Micah's hands. When Micah looked down, the pic on top nearly turned his stomach a row of corpses partially covered with stained sheets. Many of the corpses' limbs were exposed, bubbling skin, bulging eyes, tongues lolling out. After only a second or two, Micah had to look away. His stomach scrambled like two alley cats fighting. What the hell, Gavin? What is this? The literal name is N5A9, but few people know it by that name. It's sort of like a strain of smallpox, but it's much more sinister, as you can see. 
There were three more pictures underneath the one on top, but Micah didn't page through them. He dropped the stack on top of the Honda's center console and folded his hands. Please don't surprise me like that again. Sorry, Gavin said. You said you were going to get to the point? Gavin cleared his throat. Santiago Jimenez, during his time in the cartel, stole some of this smallpox strain from a group of particularly nasty Serbians to give to Dos Cruces. It's never been recovered. And? And, Gavin said, we need to recover it. So why don't you pick him up, sweat him, throw him in jail? Isn't that what you people do best? Gavin shook his head. FBI and others have tried that several times. He claims he doesn't have it, and he's been on message about it since we first questioned him. If he does know where it is, he's not telling. Believe me, we've used every method of interrogation, turned over every rock. Gavin reached back into the bag for a different folder and pulled out a printout. Micah glanced at it hesitantly, not wanting to witness any more real-life gore. But the image seemed tame. A building for sale? Some old abandoned mall? And this is? That is a piece of property for sale in Las Vegas. Actually, not for sale anymore. It's sold now. There's a Nevada billionaire, I'm not going to tell you his name, but he's previously been under investigation by the FBI, who's selling it. Micah felt a little itch under his skin. He had a connection to Las Vegas, but he didn't know if Gavin knew that. And? Gavin set another picture on top of the printout. Two men in suits, shaking hands. The one on the left looked familiar, and when Micah saw it, he gritted his teeth. Kellen McBriar, Micah's older brother. Micah hadn't seen him in five years, maybe six now, not since before everything happened and Micah had disappeared, before anonymity. That's my brother Kellen. Is it coming together yet? What does my brother have to do with this crooked rich guy? That's a photo of your brother shaking hands with the billionaire I mentioned. They're newly minted partners. Your brother just entered into a deal to buy that piece of land and he's going to lose everything. It is a rotten deal. Micah stared for a few seconds, letting the information sink in. Now, Gavin said, you might be thinking, since your living situation prevents you from contacting your brother yourself, that you're going to call someone and get a message to him to tell him not to do the deal. Well, it's too late for that. Paperwork has been signed. It's already in the bag. Micah's shoulders tensed. He didn't like where this was heading because he knew Gavin was gearing up to turn this into a sales pitch. Okay. But, Gavin said, it's not too late for us to get him out of it. I have authority from the Justice Department to scrub your brother clean of this business arrangement so he doesn't lose his life savings. It won't be easy, but it's possible. Micah stared at the grainy black and white picture of Kellen McBriar. He couldn't see enough detail in the photo to detect if Kellen had wrinkles around his eyes, but he spotted a healthy amount of gray running through Kellen's dark brown hair. Kellen was four years older, which would make him 34, 35. Micah had known his brother was living in Vegas, doing well for himself, but not much else. Whatever he could glean from Kellen's public social media posts, wife, two kids, a few business ventures out in the desert. Seeing this picture of his big brother tugged at Micah's loneliness, his isolation from his family, and Micah resented that Gavin would have known that. Gavin could help Micah's brother, but obviously, there had to be a price. Micah dropped all the pictures except for the one of Santiago Jimenez, a.k.a. Snoop. And it has something to do with this guy and his smallpox strain. What do I have to do to get you to scratch my back? 
Gavin nodded. We want you to get close to Snoop. Undercover, in a sense. Undercover, Micah said. Can I be a British person? I've always wanted to try the accent. Gavin frowned. This is not anything to joke about. <laughs> I've got to deflate the tension somehow after you blitz me with those disgusting pictures, don't I? Again, Gavin said, I am sorry about that. I thought you needed to see it to understand how grave this is. Yeah, Gavin, I get it. What is it you want me to do? Find out if he still has the smallpox and where he's keeping it. We think he's about to do a deal to offload it. Why do you think that? Because, Gavin said, 28 days from now, he's on a plane out of Tulsa to Vietnam to move to a halfway house there. Vietnam has no extradition treaty with the U.S. We will likely never see him again. Halfway house? Gavin reached into his messenger bag yet again and produced a pamphlet for Cornerstone, a treatment center in Perkins, Oklahoma. He dropped it in Micah's lap. Micah paged through the pamphlet, eyeing pictures of some spacious mansion set among rolling hills and a vast expanse of wooded greens. Snoop checked into treatment at Cornerstone today. Locals call it The Stone. We think he's going to make a deal while he's there. This is a perfect situation, Micah. You have experience with drug and alcohol recovery. You're from Oklahoma. You have cartel experience. There's no one in the world more qualified to work this guy. I have things to do in Denver, Micah said. I have a job, you know. It's all cleared with Frank. He's going to be working with me for the next 28 days while we explore some alternate angles. And if I don't do this, Micah said, you won't help my brother. Gavin frowned. Don't treat it like extortion or blackmail. Your brother got himself into this mess. The marshals and the FBI are willing to take this risk for Kellen because recovering this smallpox strain is so critical. Micah rolled the cornerstone pamphlet into a tube as he gritted his teeth. He felt manipulated. Once again, he was under the thumb of the feds with no choice but to do their bidding. But if he refused, Kellen would suffer. He would lose everything. Micah had done enough damage to the McBriar family already, and he couldn't imagine being responsible for more. Not to mention the smallpox strain. Those ghastly pictures of the corpses were a strong selling point. I'll get you fully briefed today, Gavin said, and then you'll be on a plane tonight. 28 days, Micah. We're on the clock here. Micah stared at the picture of his brother shaking hands with a man who would steal his life savings, probably his kids' college funds. Micah knew he had to do this. And he also knew the marshal wasn't telling him the whole story. Fine, Gavin. I'll do it. So there you go. That is chapter one of Stone Deep. Well, in the book, it's not actually called chapter one. It's called day one because as you learn there at the very end, Micah has 28 days to solve this mystery, um, which <clears throat> the ticking clock is what makes it a thriller instead of a mystery. But Micah has 28 days to figure out the situation. And so each chapter is listed with the number of the day to give you... Um, a sense of the time as he uh, as he goes there. So there was a lot that happened in this book in the first the uh, in this chapter. The first half there, Micah is with Lane Parrish, and he's at Glazer's Boxing Gym, which um, you know like I've said this before, but the Micah Reed novels are standalone, but they do have elements or events from certain books impact others. Although I try my best when I'm writing to make it so that. You don't specifically have to have read any particular book to pick up 
um, events in a new book. Like you shouldn't read a book and be like, wait, what is that about? Because you missed something in a different book. And Glazer's Gym is one of those things because it, it does appear in several of the books. Because partially that it's down the street from the pink door, which um, when Micah meets up with Gavin, that Gavin mentions the pink door and its owner, Tyson Darby. Tyson Darby is a recurring villain in the Micah Reed books. Um, he plays a significant role in airbag scars, and then he just has a minor role in a couple other ones. He has a minor role um, in Shot Caller, and he makes a cameo appearance in Casino Cartel. Um and Tyson Darby also appears in the standalone, you may not even know this, here's your super special trivia, Tyson Darby also appears as a major character in the standalone novel, Reagan's Ashes. And um, I won't tell you how he appears because it's kind of an interesting tie-in. But including Tyson in the Micah Reed series was the, my first attempt at like crossover between two universes, sort of like Marvel and DC coming together. But not really. Actually, it's nothing like Marvel and DC crossover. Anyway, so what is this first chapter about? What is Stone Deep about? Well, obviously, it's about Micah going on a mission to visit this treatment center in Oklahoma and pose undercover to... Um, to take down this, potentially take down this guy, Santiago Jimenez, also known as Snoop. And so why did I write this book? Well, first, I've worked in drug and alcohol treatment centers before, and so I liked the idea of setting the book in a treatment center. And there's one treatment center in Oklahoma um, that's set in this giant mansion. And so I liked the idea of kind of a walled garden. Um, that's not the right word, but in a um, closed box, I guess. Initially, my initial, initial idea for this book was that it was going to be sort of diehard in a treatment center, like in a big mansion, and it didn't end up being like that. There was, there was more to the story than that, but I liked the idea of most of the action taking place inside this giant spooky mansion where there were a bunch of recovering drug addicts, um, and I really liked the idea of Micah, who's now 14 months sober, and he's not dealing on a daily basis with those urges to drink going and surrounding himself, immersing himself in the world of new recovery again and having to um, having to play the part of someone newly in sobriety. And also another thing was that, you know, we met Micah's uh, sister in the book Nailgun Messiah and there's been references to Micah having a brother, but we've never met the brother before. And so this book also, because Micah is going on this mission so that so that Gavin will help out his brother out of this bad business deal. It also gives Micah a chance to reflect on his brother because um, you know, his 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 brother and his parents think that he's dead. So that's something that's uh, something that Micah has wrestled with and he's felt quite guilty about um up until his life. So I really liked the idea of Micah going into a treatment center for a while and what it would be like for him to have to be undercover, to live a lie for a good reason. So that's one of the things, the, the themes in this, in Stone Deep is, can you do a bad thing for a good reason? Because that's a lot of Micah's life. He did bad things, not necessarily because he wanted to, but because he felt like he either had to or he felt like there was a good reason for doing them. So he's he's lying, he's going undercover, and he's lying to these people in the treatment center, but ultimately his aim is, at least he thinks, 
and the way things appear on the surface is that there's a good aim. But as we learned in the second to last sentence in that chapter was that he knows that Gavin isn't telling him the whole story. So as with all the Micah Reed books, there's a touch of conspiracy to get unraveled. Now we're hitting the home stretch. We only have a couple more of these chapters to do. And then hopefully uh, there's going to be a surprise bonus episode at the end of this uh, season. I'm still trying to work all that out, but hopefully that should be coming soon. And that's all I'm going to say today. I really appreciate you tuning in. Um, You're like my best friend because you're here for me every week when I need you or whatever. You know, does that sound sad? I hope it doesn't sound too sad. Anyway, uh, rate and review the show on iTunes. It would mean a lot. And I hope you have a wonderful day and go eat your veggies because they're good for you. That's it for this episode of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and visit jimheskett.com for more info and free thriller books.